Blog Talk Radio. And welcome to this installment of Pittsburgh Steelers on 24-7 Sports Podcast, The Steel Conversation. I'm Brian Diardo. Thank you for joining us today. And uh, we did it last week, and it seemed to work. We had Derek Lewis of the Cincinnati Bengals on 24-7 Sports uh, join us and kind of break down uh, the opposition's viewpoint of uh, last week's game, a game the Steelers did win 33-20. We've done the same thing this week. We've we've brought in uh, from the Denver Broncos on 24-7 Sports reporter Ian McHugh uh, to join us as we break down a pivotal Week 15 showdown between the Steelers and Broncos. Uh, unbelievably, it, it's the only game uh, of the weekend that's going to match two teams with winning records. The Broncos come in with a 10-3 and record fighting uh, for the top seed in the AFC playoffs, and the Steelers right now 8-5 and on the outside looking in, but could definitely use a win against Denver to propel themselves to 9-5 and, and, and stay with the Jets and Chiefs for those last spots in the AFC playoffs. So thanks again, Ian, uh, for joining us here on the Steel Conversation. And let's talk about this game. It, you know, from the Broncos' standpoint, uh, a lot like the Steelers, it's been, it's been a crazy season, marred with controversy. Uh, with you guys, the quarterback position with the Steelers, it's been more of an injury thing, especially earlier in the year. But but let's talk about your season. Like I said, you guys are 10-3, and started the season 7-0. and uh, Then you had the, the Peyton Manning uh, injury, Brock Osweiler's come in. And uh, now you guys are ten and three, trying to get to eleven and three against the Steelers on Sunday. Yeah, it's definitely been an entertaining run here. I mean, it seems like there's always something going on the the whole season. It seems like there's been some sort of issue under the surface. The beginning of the year, it was Peyton Manning's not playing well, and can the defense keep winning them games? Well, they made it all the way to seven and zero before they lost, and then and then you know that kind of led into this whole quarterback controversy over Manning versus Brock Osweiler. But the question, I guess, all year has just, has just been about the offense in general. Because you go back two years to 2013, Peyton Manning's throwing 50-plus touchdown passes. The offense is scoring like crazy. They're setting all sorts of records. And, you know, it looks like this unstoppable machine. Then, of course, they completely blow it in the Super Bowl against the Seahawks. But there's such a contrast between that offense two years ago and what you see today, it's really kind of remarkable. And a lot of that came with Gary Kubiak. You know, John Elway knew who he was hiring. Gary Kubiak was actually John Elway's backup for a few years, back in the late 80s, early 90s. I think a lot of people don't know that, but it's kind of interesting. But anyway, um, he's you know, he's a more conservative coach. He has his scheme. He likes to run the ball. He likes to balance things out. He's not going to take a ton of shots down the field. He's going to go for short to intermediate passes, just kind of, get first downs and methodically drive down the field. And that's a big change from what they had under John Fox and Adam Gase, the old offensive coordinator. That was much more of a, you know, three wide, just chuck it down the field and go big play after big play type of offense. Of course, that's more exciting. That's more fun for a fan. And they they look at the numbers and the production that offense posts, and they want to know, you know, why are the Broncos doing this now? Why, why are they suddenly, you know, slowing everything down and lining up under center? and doing kind of this old-school approach, if you will. But, you know, it's generally worked. It's, it's not been flashy. It hasn't been great. The defense is good enough that the offense can kind of just be mediocre and they'll win. I mean, they they need the offense to do its job, but they don't need to do anything spectacular because they're so talented on defense. And they have, you know, they have offensive weapons. They have Marius Thomas. They have Manuel Sanders. C.J. Anderson was running really well before he got hurt a few weeks ago. And, you know, they can they can piece stuff together. Um, it, it does work, it, or it has worked at certain times this year. 
But, yeah, of course, since week 10 against the Chiefs, it's been all about the quarterbacks. And late in that game, they bench Manning, which, you know, obviously it's a huge deal. He's he's a legend. He's a 14-time pro bowler. He's a surefire Hall of Famer. He's a guy who's, you know, really changed the game since he broke into the league almost 20 years ago. And, and you know, that's that's weird to see. It's weird to see a guy hanging out on the bench who has that sort of history, has that sort of track record behind him. So I think that startled a lot of people. I think that was scary to a lot of people. Osweiler came into that game, played decently well. The Broncos still lost because they were in pretty big trouble by the time he came into the game. And then Manning hadn't practiced since then until yesterday. He finally returned to practice yesterday. He had a torn plantar fascia in his left foot um, that he'd apparently been dealing with for quite a while. We still don't have a really clear timeline on it, but it sounds like it might have dated all the way back to training camp and then gotten progressively worse over the course of the season. So it might have been a long-term issue. Um, but they, they decided to rest him. Brock Osweiler started the last four games, and he's played well. You know, it's I wouldn't say it's been spectacular by any means. It hasn't been the kind of performance where you say, oh, there's there's no chance that Manning comes back after this. But he's generally getting the job done. He's not turning the ball over very much. He's making smart decisions for the most part. And he looks the part. He looks like a guy who's a starting quarterback in the NFL. Um, now, that loss to Oakland on Sunday was his first loss as a starter, so he's 3-1 and one now. And people are putting a lot of that loss on him, which I don't think is entirely fair. They, they had a few drop passes at just the worst possible moment. Uh, Manuel Sanders flubbed a punt at his own 10-yard line that gave the Raiders an easy touchdown. And there were just a lot of things going on there that he couldn't really control that, you know, hurt him in a in a negative way. So I don't think he played particularly well against the Raiders, but I don't think he played poorly either, and he's not the reason they lost that game. So this is a huge, huge game for him. Um, you know, he's trying to minimize it. He said at his press conference yesterday, it's just another game. It's just a road game against a tough opponent, kind of all those platitudes. But the bottom line is a lot hinges on this game because Manning could very well be healthy enough to play by that second-to-last regular season game against the Bengals, which will be a week from this Sunday. And so if Osweiler doesn't play well this weekend, you have to think that Kubiak's going to think that much harder about starting him over Osweiler. So it's a big, big game for him. I think it... I think it might be one of the toughest games he's had this year for for Osweiler, uh, right up there with that Patriots game a few weeks back. But that game was at home. This game's on the road, tough environment. And we still don't know much about this guy. He's only got a few games under his belt. We've only had a few, you know, a handful of opportunities to watch him. And this is kind of one of those moments where he can show that, you know, I'm ready, I'm ready for this job, and, and you guys should stick with me the rest of the way. Right, and I think one thing that, that that stood out from what you said when you're preparing Manning and Osweiler is uh, when you have a great defense and, and fewer fans going back even to the 70s when, when Bradshaw wasn't the Hall of Famer that he became. I'm thinking maybe 74 when Bradshaw even got benched at one point uh, for Terry Hanratty and Joe Gilliam. Um, uh, you know, back then it was, you know, hey, we have a great defense. We just don't need an offense that's going to put our defense in bad spots. Don't turn the ball over. And it seems like that's a lot of what you're saying. And when when you look at Manning in his first nine games, sacked 15 times, which isn't you know terrible, uh, but he's thrown nine, he threw 17 interceptions during that span. Osweiler's taking more sacks. He already has more than Manning in just four games. He's already been sacked 17 times, but he's only thrown three interceptions in four games. For any starter, 
in the league, that's not bad, especially when you look at, hey, this is a first-year guy playing his first significant minutes, and he's only uh, throwing three interceptions. That's pretty good. And the sacks are probably just because he doesn't want to force a turnover, and he'd rather just eat the ball, which I think any any coach, and Kubiak with a defensive background as well, uh, you know, I, I know he was an offensive coach and also played quarterback, but, you know, he's going to like that knowing that, hey, I'm putting my defense in a good position with my quarterback not not forcing the issue. And, you know, when you're playing against the Steelers defense, uh, that, you know, their secondary has, as you know, I'm sure, has, has been much maligned this season. Uh, they're 31st in the league and, and pass yards allowed. They actually allowed A.J. McCarron to throw for uh, almost as many yards as Roethlisberger did last week. I think McCarron threw for 280, Roethlisberger threw for, for 282. But at least the Steelers have four games to look at Osweiler, which isn't a lot, but that's definitely more than what they had to look at McCarron. McCarron had only thrown four passes before last Sunday's game. So I'm sure you're going to expect the Steelers to, to throw their blitz package at Denver. Um, the Steelers are going to try to do some exotic blitzes. Um, they have 38 sacks this season, which is fifth best in the league. You know, again, they – they're giving up a lot of passing yards, but but I'm sure facing a young guy like Osweiler on the road in these kind of conditions, not sure how cold it's going to be, but regardless, it'll it'll be in a hostile environment. You know, I'm sure the Steelers are going to bring the house against him, uh, which brings me to this point when you, when you're facing a Denver offense that, like you said, you know, and I've watched a couple games earlier in the year, they, they were doing a lot more kind of bubble screens, kind of just you know plays within the first five yard radius, a lot more snaps under center. Um, is the Steeler fans and the Steeler defense, would you expect, Ian, uh, to expect more of a running game? Maybe Ronnie Hillman, C.J. Anderson. I know C.J. has had kind of a rough season. He's had a little bit better numbers recently. He does have a 4.3 yards per carry average, which is a lot better than what Hillman's been averaging. Would you expect Denver to try to go out and try to establish that run, take some heat off Osweiler, and try to throw the Steelers' defense off balance? Yeah, definitely, because that's what Kubiak wants to do. I mean, I think he'll try that against anyone, really, because that's that's the goal at the beginning of the game. Now, it doesn't always work out that way. Just look at the the Raiders game from a few days ago. Osweiler threw the ball 51 times, and they had, I think, less than 20 runs. They ran the ball like four times in the second half. So that can happen, but that is not at all what Kubiak wants or really anybody involved with that team wants. That's just what the situation mandated because they could not get anything going on the ground and then they fall behind and then suddenly it's oh man, we gotta move the ball down the field quickly here and try to try to make up yardage and try to retake the lead. So I definitely think they'll come out and try to do that. And it seems like the Steelers, you know, have a, a decent run defense, I guess. Not not the best, not the worst. Um key to me is, is C J Anderson. Now he didn't play last week. He was active but he was only available for an emergency situation where, let's say, you know, the the first guy or two got injured and they needed him to play. He actually took a helmet to the ankle uh, two weeks ago, and that's what sidelined him. It was that Chargers game. That's where he got hurt. And he, he had ankle issues earlier in the season as well. Now, you're right that he, he did kind of – it has been a little bit of a slow season for him, but if you break down his numbers before and after the bye week, which was week seven, if I'm not mistaken, for the – uh for the Broncos, there's a big, big difference. Like over six yards per carry after the bye week and well well below that before the bye. I don't think he was fully healthy beginning of the season. He had a foot issue, he had an ankle issue, just kind of, you know, the that nitpicky stuff that can mess up a running back. Um, and he's looked so much better the last few games. So that's the guy that I think could really kind of set the 
tone for them on the ground. He's a he's a physical guy. He's a bulky guy, and that that could be good in that you know cold weather environment where the Broncos need to run the ball. Um, I think I think he'll give the offense a big lift if he if he is there if he, if he can play. And it sounds like he will play based on everything we know right now. And then Ronnie Hillman is kind of a, a change of pace guy. He's quicker. He's smaller, but I would say he's not as reliable. It's kind of more hit or miss. You know, he has some, quite a few negative runs, I'd say. And, uh, you know, he might explode for a 56-yard touchdown because he has that speed. But at the same time, there's a lot of negative plays, and you can't count on him to pick up, you know, three, four yards by running it straight up the middle like you can with Anderson. So I certainly think they'll try to set the tone on the ground because that's that's what they want to do, take some of the pressure off Osweiler. I mean, he he absolutely plays better when the running game is working. Just look at look at his three starts before this most recent loss to Oakland. They had at least reasonable success running the ball in all three of those games. And Osweiler threw somewhere in the neighborhood of 25 to 35 passes, which is much more what they're looking for rather than 51. Um, and going back to what you said about the blitzing, I think you're absolutely right. I think the Steelers will test him because not only is he a young, inexperienced quarterback, but he doesn't handle pressure particularly well. I would say that's one of the the weaknesses that's been pretty easy to spot through these first few games here. He doesn't necessarily freak out, but he just holds on to the ball too long and he takes unnecessary sacks or he just kind of walks right into pass rushers that he doesn't see. It doesn't help that his offensive line is, is pretty shoddy. Um, especially right now. They've had a few injuries up front that have really hurt them, and they played very poorly against the Raiders on on uh, Sunday. But, but yeah, I think they'll test him. I think they'll probably get to him a little bit, and we'll see if he's if he's learned to, you know, handle that pressure any better. He's talked a lot about learning when to throw the ball out of bounds, when to throw the ball to receiver's feet just to get rid of it, and when it's best to, you know, just take a sack. And I think he's still learning that stuff. I think it comes with experience. And even though he has been in the league a few years, he didn't start his first game until a month ago. So he's still a very, very young guy. Um, and and I think that will improve with time. But you bet they're going to test him. They're going to send a lot of people at him. And they're going to see how he handles it. And if it works, they're going to keep doing it. I mean, just the Raiders hardly had to blitz anyone. They could just rush four, and they were still getting to him because the offensive line was struggling so badly. So even if they're not blitzing, they could still just attack, attack, attack and see if that's a, a way to keep him out of rhythm because from what we've seen on tape so far, he does get a little flustered. Right, yeah, and, and I want to ask you one more question about the Broncos' offense, and then I want to talk about, the, I think, the heavyweight matchup everybody's excited about is Pittsburgh's offense against Denver's defense. Does Denver have a big element of, of the deep ball? I know Sanders has caught a 75-yard pass this season. Demarius Thomas, your leading receiver, caught a 48-yarder. Because I think for Steeler fans defensively, that's always been the thing. A.J. Green has burned us deep. The Raiders burned us deep, and we played them back in week nine. Do you guys have an element of a deep ball with Osweiler, or do you think everything's going to be pretty much, you know, in inter- intermediate routes and things of that nature? I'd say it's in the fold, but it's not It's not something that's been working well for them. Uh, his longest pass was a 48-yard touchdown to Marius Thomas, but I was actually looking at a replay of that play this morning, he threw the ball like 18 yards or so, and then Terrius Thomas ran the rest of the way. So that wasn't really like a 48-yard touchdown pass. It was, you know, a 20-yard pass roughly and a 28-yard run. So that's that's something to keep in mind. He has the arm strength. It's just that he doesn't seem like he's nailed down the timing yet. 
and there's been a few occasions with both Sanders and DT where he's put too much air under the ball and then enough air under the ball, and it's just coming up short. The guy will get open. He'll get space from the defensive back, but the ball's just not where it needs to be. And that's another thing that maybe will come with time. Uh, he actually addressed that. Osweiler addressed that in his press conference yesterday, and he was talking about how much you know a deep ball completion can open up the offense because suddenly the safeties have to drop a little further back, and, and they have to be ready for that. Whereas if they're just going to throw a bunch of five to 15-yard completions, then you can kind of keep everybody shallow and you know what to expect. So I do think they're keeping him on a little bit of a short leash right now because he's young, because he's inexperienced, and that's why they're not taking a ton of shots down the field. But it's also a product, like we talked about earlier, of that offense. It's a pretty conservative system. It's it's run the ball first and then work the pass off of that. And so you're not going to see, you know, no matter who's under under center, I don't think you're going to see a ton of shots downfield like you would with a Bruce Arians in Arizona, for example. So it's it's something to think about, but I don't think that they're nearly as dangerous on long passes as some of the other teams out there. And, and until Osweiler proves he can really do that on a consistent basis, you know, why should they respect it? They might as well just play everybody tight and see what happens until until otherwise, until they can show that, you know, they're going to get hurt by doing that. Right. And let's do a quick tale of the tape. Steelers defense against Denver's offense. Steelers D, fifth in sacks coming in, sixth in picks, sixth in rush defense, 31st in pass defense, and 11 in scoring, averaging about 20 points per game allowed. You look at Denver's offense, uh, 17th in scoring, averaging just under 22 a game. Uh, rush offense, 17th in the league, uh, 14 touchdowns and 20 interceptions, and 18th in passing yards per game for the Broncos, which surely has gotten better with Brock Osweiler replacing Pete Nanning over the last month. And, and now this is kind of the thing with the last 12 minutes here on uh, the Steel Conversation. Ian McHugh joining us from Broncos on 24-7 Sports. I'm Brian Diardo here at Pittsburgh Steelers on 24-7 Sports. This is a heavyweight matchup, and I think this, this is going to determine the winner and the loser of this game is Denver's defense against the Steelers' offense. I mean, Denver's – there's very little argument uh, that that's defense in football. It's Denver. First in scoring, uh, first in sacks. Uh, first in, in total yards allowed a game, first in passing yards allowed a game, uh, third in run defense, first in forced fumbles. I mean, just across the board, this is a great defense. Uh, and they're going to face a great offense. The Steelers' offense tied for fifth in scoring, ninth in rushing, fifth in passing. Uh, they, they matched an NFL record uh, that ended last week. They had a, a streak of four straight games where they amassed 450 total yards of offense at least. Uh, five games now they've had over 30 points. I know that was aided by Will Gay's interception last week, but still they've scored 30 points the last five games. Uh, the, the the Broncos secondary has, has been a little uh, a little vocal about the Steelers' success. They said, T.J. Ward said on Tuesday, they're hot because they haven't played us yet. And uh, Queen Philippe said as well, they came into the no-fly zone, speaking of Oakland last week, and that's how it goes out here. Uh, and they did hold Michael Crabtree and Mari Cooper to just four catches for 19 yards, and that was all Crabtree. Cooper had four. Or Cooper didn't have a single catch, uh, Oakland's uh, Ballyhood rookie receiver. Um, but I did notice that uh, o- Oakland's tight ends were able to find some room. Michael Rivera, Cliff Walford had a total of six uh, receptions for 96 yards and a touchdown. And then Oakland's third receiver, Seth Roberts, also had a touchdown. And, and you know, Looking at it from the Steelers' perspective, that's that's been kind of the approach that Seattle and a couple other 
uh, defenses has had. Cincinnati last week, it was the same thing. We're going to double-team Martavis Bryant and Antonio Brown, and we're going to live with the production that the tight ends and the Steelers' third receivers are going to have against us, where you're seeing now Heath Miller having 10 catches. He's done that twice against Cincinnati this year. Uh, you're seeing D'Angelo Williams get more involved into the pass game. He has over 20 receptions. He's not uh, Le'Veon Bell in terms of catching the ball out of the backfield. No one is, but he's certainly done a good job holding his own and, and giving the Steelers a threat out there. Uh, also, you know, Marcus Wheaton is, is all of a sudden, you know, evolved as, as one of the better third receivers in football. He had a 200-plus yard effort against Seattle a few weeks back, and he's continued to be a threat over the last two weeks. Um, do you think that's going to be the same approach that, that Denver has is, hey, you know, we're going to double up and box in uh, Bryant and Brown, and we're just going to live with whatever the Steelers get on intermediate routes? Or do you think they're going to just say, hey, listen, you know, we have to leave. We have Ward. We're good enough to guard these guys man on man, and we're actually just going to have it just kind of be an old, you know, playground, play school game where it's, hey, your man against our man and the best man wins. Which approach do you think Denver's going to have for this game? Yeah, I think it'll be the latter. I think they're going to challenge their guys to cover Antonio, I mean, maybe Antonio Brown will get doubled, but I can't see both him and Martavis Bryant getting double teamed because that's just not how this defense has played this year. They are very confident in their defensive backs to the point where they'll leave guys in single coverage very consistently. And not always, but a majority of the time they're playing zero coverage. And, uh, and you know, that's just kind of a testament to how good they are, to be honest. I mean, Akeem Tlaib is very good. He's a Pro Bowl guy, but Chris Harris is better. And when you have a cornerback on your team that's better than a guy that's a two- or three-time pro bowler, that's a pretty strong statement about that defense. So I think they're very confident in those two guys. Now, things could be a little bit different this week because of the situation at safety. T.J. Ward is coming off a high ankle sprain. He missed the last two games. Um, and right now it's kind of up in the air whether he's going to play or not on Sunday. And last week they were really, really short at safety because David Bruton – who was actually Ward's replacement, got hurt against the Chargers. So they ended up with a guy they signed off the street on Wednesday playing a significant number of snaps at strong safety on Sunday. Obviously that wasn't ideal, and that's actually what led to one of those touchdown passes to the tight end by the Raiders was a a blown assignment by that new guy. So that could change things a little bit, um, but they still have Darian Stewart at the other safety spot. He's a very underrated player, very reliable guy, and he's done a tremendous job this year. But I think it really comes down to those cornerbacks. In addition to Chris Harris and Akeem Tlaib, they have Bradley Roby, who's their nickel guy, uh, first-round pick out of Ohio State in 2014. He's also a very talented guy. He's not Harris or Tlaib, but the bottom line is they trust all those guys to really handle difficult assignments and handle them one-on-one. So what that does is it you know, frees them up to rush a bunch of guys at the passer and just to, to give them that freedom. So that's, I think, a big part of what's made this defense so good is, is almost kind of betting on your, your own players there. You're taking a risk, sure, but if you're that confident in the talent you have, then the risk isn't that high necessarily. And I think that's how Wade Phillips, the defensive coordinator, feels about the group of guys he has. They have so many good pass rushers with Von Miller and Demarcus Ware, Malik Jackson, the defensive end. I mean, the list kind of goes on and on, and they're just so good at instantly getting quarterbacks under pressure that it throws off the entire offense. That's really what's made them tick this year, and those defensive backs are good enough that the receivers can't get open quickly enough for the quarterback to find them before they've got a pass rusher breathing down their neck. So 
I do think they're going to trust their guys to kind of just go out there. And, and with Antonio Brown, because he's such a special guy, I could see them maybe doubling him up frequently. But they might just kind of go one-on-one, at least to open the game, see what happens. And if it's working, they're going to roll with it. Wade Phillips is not a man afraid to take risks. He's not, he's not going to back down from any challenge. And they've seen some very good receivers this year with Calvin Johnson, with Randall Cobb. Antonio Brown might be the best receiver out there right now, so maybe none of them are quite comparable to him. But point being, these guys know how to defend top-flight receivers, and I think that I think that this this coaching staff really just has a lot of trust in their guys. Right, and 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 obviously when you have a guy like Wade Phillips, who gosh, he coached the Houston Oilers back in the late '70s. Steeler fans remember that he he coached under his dad, Bum Phillips, when Oakland. I'm sorry, Houston faced the Steelers in back-to-back AFC Championship games. Pittsburgh won both of those. But, yeah, Wade Phillips is, just has a wealth of knowledge, and especially coaching up guys who can get to the passer, and I think that's going to be the biggest match over this game. The Ward's injury and the weapons the Steelers have, they can have success against Denver secondary. Um, that's with, with, with respect to Denver secondary. Obviously, they're, they're some of the best guys in the business, Tlaib and, and Ward and Harris. But I just think the Steelers' weapons and what they can do and their versatility, I mean, and it's, it's proven in the past. You, obviously, <laughs> you can't compare uh, Oakland and, and Cleveland's past defenses to, to, to Denver's. They, they can't hold a candle to Denver's secondary. But that's the last two games in Seattle where uh, those secondaries said, listen, we're going to man guard Antonio and Martavis and just, you know, we'll live with, you know, you know we'll live with it. And, and Martavis and, and Antonio just had big games. So it'll be interesting to see if Denver calls them out. And I agree with you. I think Denver's going to do the same thing. So why wouldn't they? I mean, the way they're they're talking and the way they've played this season, uh, I certainly w- would understand why they would have the confidence. Say, listen, we're gonna we're gonna go man on man against you guys. And it, and if they do have success there, uh, then that's really going to clog the middle of the field because then Heath Miller and and Wheaton aren't going to have the same avenues that they've had in recent games. If Bryant and Brown don't don't uh, attract. Uh, you know, double teams and added attention their way. And, uh, man, this show went by fast. You just a few more minutes to go. And I, I did want to get to that, 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 uh, last topic, Denver's rush defense. And you talked about it, Von Miller with, with 10 sacks, um, you know, talk about, uh, that advantage that they might have against the Steelers. And do you think that's going to change the Steelers offense? I think it will. I think, you know, Ben, the Steelers might do more check downs, more do might do more draws with, with D'Angelo, uh, might just do some, some quick outs, and quick ins to Heath Miller and Marcus Wheaton. I think that's that's really going to be the tail of the tape, is whether the Steelers' offensive line can, can really block Denver's defensive front. I think the Steelers' receivers still have the advantage over, over Denver's secondary, especially with Ward being hurt, but I just don't know about that offensive line. As well as they've played with, with Alejandroville in the way of a left tackle, uh, as well as he's played, I think Denver's still going to try to exploit him because he still is a young guy, just like Osweiler. Um, what do you think, and how do you think they're going to attack the Steelers in terms of pass rush? I mean, I think they'll keep doing what they've been doing because they they have more sacks than anyone else in the league, and they've just been so effective. Uh, Von Miller is obviously the, the top guy. I genuinely believe he has the quickest first step in the game in terms of how quickly he gets to the ball after it's snapped. I mean, it's just it's almost instantaneous. He's just so fast. He's so he's so quick. He's so athletic that he just kind of bends, twists, pushes, whatever, his way right past offensive linemen. He's not that big, but he's just so – he's got such a special skill set that it doesn't really matter because he can still just 
find a way to get through. And then DeMarcus Ware is obviously the veteran guy, the, the guy that's been around for a long time and been doing a great job for a long time. He just came back last week after missing four games uh, because of a back injury, which actually sidelined him earlier in the season as well. And he saw only about, I think, less than 20 snaps last week. But that should change this week. I don't think he's going to be quite full go, but he'll be much closer to it. I would expect that number of snaps to double probably, maybe get up to 40 or so. And he's going to be in for most pass rushing down. So he is not a guy to overlook. He's 33, but he still absolutely get it done. And he was off to a really remarkable start at the beginning of the season before all these injuries started popping up. But it's not just them. It's also the defensive lineman. Malik Jackson, as I mentioned earlier, I think he has five sacks. And he's a, you know, that's a lot for a 3-4 defensive end. Um, and, and he's mm. just really good at just pulling his way through and, and sacking the quarterback. Derek Wolf is the other defensive end. He's I guess more known as a run stopper, and that's fair because that is his forte. But he's been getting to the quarterback as well, and so that's another guy to watch on the edge there along the defensive line. And in the middle you have Sylvester Williams, a former first-round pick. He's obviously a nose tackle. His primary job is not to rush the quarterback necessarily, but he's gotten a few sacks too. So they kind of come from all directions. Occasionally they'll even blitz a safety or a cornerback. Uh, T.J. Ward's a few sacks. But, but they get creative, you know, Wade Phillips is a guy who never really, never really runs out of ideas, and uh, and so I think they'll they'll try a lot of different things to mess with that offensive line. But yeah, I agree. The way to beat it, or the way to at least try to get around that, is check downs, quick throws, and just get rid of the ball quickly. Right, and uh, for Steelers fans, I think you'll expect to see Will Johnson as well back, uh, the fullback back to help out Ben Roethlisberger in that pass rush. Again, for Ian McHugh, this has been Brian Diardo signing off. Thanks again, Ian, for joining us. And get ready for a great game, Steelers-Broncos, on Sunday.